0: Brothers, let's pray as we come to God's word. Father, we pray now that you would speak to us, help us to have your heart, help us to know your truth and help us to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, brothers, tensions are very high in our community at the moment, aren't they? I'm sure you remember the illegal anti-lockdown protest just 11 days ago it started just a short walk from where I'm standing right now. And the protesters were expressing a fear and an anger that's clearly present among many in our community. Now, they were wrong to express it this way. But you can feel some of it, can't you? And I know many of us right now are feeling the, the, just the frustration. Some of you are in almost impossible situations. I know that, that, that many of you are climbing the walls and it's hard. The catch cry of the protest was freedom. Freedom of movement, freedom of association. And while, yes, the protest itself was way out of line, freedom does matter, doesn't it? It matters for us and for our community. Religious freedom, for example, is a precious good that should be protected, both for the good of society and for the sake of people hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there is an argument that some Christians have that if Christians give in to these COVID restrictions, it's the start of a slippery slope. The argument goes, if you submit to the government in these areas, if you give up the freedom to leave your home, to to travel, indeed, as we're already giving up the freedom to, to gather together, together in church, well, where does it end? Won't the government get used to controlling us and end up controlling, for example, what we're allowed to preach or even say or pray in private, as in our Daniel reading today? That's not an empty threat. Governments have shown that they uh, sometimes do want to stop Christian speaking, haven't they? Even laws introduced in the state of Victoria recently have shown that. So there is a real and deep-seated fear amongst many about this slippery slope. Now, you might not agree with the slippery slope argument. Uh, I don't agree with it. But why? how are Christians supposed to respond to the authorities? What should our attitude be and what does this have to do with God? Our Bible passage today speaks to these questions. I'm preaching on 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 to 7. I didn't choose it because of the protest or the current circumstances, it's simply the next passage in my series on 1 Timothy. But it's a good word for us today in the situation we're in. Because it's a passage about how we as believers in Christ are to live as human beings. And how we're to relate to other human beings around us, including and especially the human authorities around us. It doesn't tell us exactly what to do in any situation, but it tells us what attitudes we are to have. And the reasons here aren't just convenience or pragmatism. They have to do, in fact, with the nature of God, the nature of Christ, the nature of Jesus' death on the cross. The key instruction in verse one is prayer. Prayer is the biggest application. But the passage doesn't just give us a bare application, a bare command to pray. It tells us something profound about why we pray and the God we are praying to and God's heart for all humanity, all human beings. Did you notice when the passage was being read that this idea of all humanity keeps coming up again and again? Verse one, all people, verse four, all people verses five and six one man men all verse seven the nations it's about our humanity it's about being human and being human with all other human beings not just some but all this passage teaches us a theology of god and humanity and so this passage teaches us to live as humans among humans and human authorities by helping us to see god's heart for all humanity as we pray for all humanity. There are four points from this passage. Firstly, God rules over all humans. Secondly, God wills for all humans to be saved. Thirdly, there is one human mediator for all humans. And fourthly, the gospel mission is for all humans. So firstly, God rules over all humans. Verses one and two. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Uh, Paul's here continuing what he said in chapter one. He's writing to Timothy, uh, his protege in Ephesus. Timothy's task is to deal with false teachers. And what characterizes these false teachers, we can learn uh, from the letter, is things like uh, they care about endless chatter and not on the ground moral living. They promote a spirituality that denies the goodness of God's creation. They deny the goodness of of God's household. They're interested in special knowledge. And against these false teachers, Paul says, the very first thing for Timothy to do is to ensure that prayer is happening. And not just any prayer. And here, not just a prayer for individual concerns or for our own church or mission, it's good to pray for those things, but here, prayer for all humanity when Paul says all humanity, he's not just talking about a generic, vague idea of humanity out there, but humanity in concrete form, which involves regular life, day by day, ordered under human authorities, governments, people who rule and the people who help them to rule, to pray for them. Why? Because God is the authority over all authorities. That's how Paul's just described god in chapter one the king of the ages immortal invisible the only god to whom be glory and honor forever and so when we pray for authorities what we're doing is acknowledging that god is the ultimate authority which is profoundly comforting i hope you see that god isn't an alternative or a rival to human authorities He is the Lord over them, and even over the ones that aren't so great. In the ancient Roman Empire, most of the authorities weren't particularly friendly to Christians. Sometimes they were downright hostile. They were often harsh or corrupt or incompetent. The same is true today in in many parts of the world. Sometimes it's even hard to work out what the legitimate authority is, even for us in Australia. When our own governments are still broadly sympathetic to Jesus, generally do a good job, they're not perfect. Sometimes they're hostile. So what's our response? One response we could have is to simply say the government is the enemy, full stop, and to treat God as some kind of alternative regime that we live under instead of the government. But that's not what Paul is saying. He's saying pray to the Lord over the government. The word for intercession is literally petition. A petition is, you know what a petition is, it's an entreaty made to a political ruler to get them to do something for you. You get people together, you sign a petition, you send it to them. Paul's saying that we should petition God first and foremost. I mean, I felt frustration in our own household over the slow vaccine rollout. What we naturally want to do first and foremost is to make our voice heard we want to write a letter to ScoMo sign a petition that'll do something and indeed it might and it's worth doing but what should my very first reaction be to send a petition to the King of Kings to the Lord of ScoMo and Gladys because he can do something about it far more than they can. The most important petitions we ever make are the petitions to God asking him to intervene and to direct and change the minds and hearts of our governments because He is Lord and He cares. And that's why each day at chapel we make sure we pray for our world, especially and including our authorities. Why do we do it? It's actually central in the Anglican prayer book. And it's of course coming from Scripture like this. Now, what's the reason for praying for these authorities? Well, here it's so we ourselves can live as rightly ordered human beings. So we can live a peaceful and quiet life. Uh, Those words aren't describing some kind of farm stay or retirement plan. They're words of civil peace. Submission to authority and right ordering of our lives. It's talking about living as humans among other humans. Now, that doesn't mean we can never criticise the government. It doesn't mean that we always have to obey the government's absolutely, even when they tell us to disobey God's direct word. We saw that in our reading from Daniel chapter three, didn't we? But it does mean that as Christians, our heart and our desire and our goal is not anarchy or some idea of absolute freedom, but our goal is just being able to do what is right and live peaceably for the sake of of the good of others. And of course, as Paul says here, fundamentally, that is the freedom to be able to worship God rightly and live godly lives, which comes alongside that. This is our prayer to God and our goal as God's people. And so while this passage doesn't tell us exactly what to do, it tells us what our normal and regular attitude should be. Normally, obedience to the government is not the enemy of Christian freedom. It's the ordinary means for our Christian freedom. Christian freedom is not an absolute freedom to do whatever we want but a freedom specifically to live for the good of God and our neighbour and part of that of course is taking part in the political process when we can and being informed and making our voice heard but most fundamentally before all of that we need to pray for our authorities to the one who knows and cares and remember that God is Lord of all because we are humans under God living among humans who are also under God whether they recognize it or not but there's actually a deeper reason to live as humans among humans and pray for humans and that is that God wills for all humans to be saved see verse three this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our saviour who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth see God sees our prayers and uh, submission to the authorities is inherently good and fishing and beautiful why because God is saviour he's our saviour God is my saviour he's your saviour that's a wonderful and beautiful and comforting thing but more he's not just my saviour and your saviour God's will for salvation is far bigger than you and me and my circles and your circles and our plans and your plans God wills the salvation of all people all humans now just to be clear Paul isn't saying here that every individual human being will be rescued from God's wrath Paul hasn't suddenly become a a universalist no that's not his point he's making a point about the wide human scope of salvation. The point is that God's salvation isn't just something that's relevant for you and me. God's salvation is relevant for all humanity beyond you and me. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And that's relevant for everyone. Every human being who trusts in Jesus will be saved. And that means that all humans need to hear the gospel, to come to a knowledge of the truth. That is in Jesus. There is a real danger for us in lockdown when our physical horizons are narrowed down, isn't it? As Christians, our gospel horizons, our gospel vision can so easily be narrowed to ourselves and our group. In fact, that's that's how conspiracy theories thrive, isn't it? As they play on our feelings of isolation and fear, as well as our own importance. You know, the secret knowledge, the rest of humanity are lying. We know the truth. You know, the false teachers in Paul's day, they were into their own knowledge and myths and endless genealogies, but that's not what the gospel is like. The gospel is not a conspiracy theory for the insiders. The gospel is a truth for everyone, and God wants all people to come to a knowledge of the truth. So let's keep praying beyond our own horizons. That's why it's so good to keep coming to chapel and to pray together, even though we're not physically together. To keep our prayers big because that is good and it's pleasing to god it's right for our world it's good for us too now at this point you might think that paul's just being pragmatic you know after all you know god doesn't directly care about a peaceful society per se does he isn't paul just saying that a peaceful human society is useful pragmatically because it'll give us more opportunities to share the gospel well that is often true well that's not always true is it but No, Paul's reason for praying for all humanity and governments is not simply pragmatic. It's not just about the preaching of the gospel. It's actually about the message of the gospel itself. See verse five. For There's one God and there's one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. Who gave himself as a ransom for all. Our prayer and concern for all humanity, says Paul, comes from the nature of God, the nature of Jesus Christ. And the atoning work of Christ. There's only one God, as it says in Deuteronomy. God's oneness means that He's the God of everyone, not just you and me and my own group, but everyone. And intimately connected to this is that there is only one mediator between that one God and human beings. Christ is the only way to God. Why? Because He's God, yes. But here, significantly, because He is. Human. The only mediator who can bring us to God is this one human being, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is unique. There is only one mediator, which sounds exclusive, doesn't it? And it is exclusive. But the amazing thing is that the exclusivity of Christ is the very truth that leads to the inclusivity of our prayers and our attitude to others and all humanity, the humanity of our mediator gives us a deep, deep value to all humanity. When you see your fellow human being, what's the first thing you see? An enemy? A threat? A stranger? An outsider? If you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, your fellow human being is human, like you. Very much like you, subject to sin in need of salvation and indeed like our mediator Jesus the humanity that Christ took on is not just your humanity or my humanity is the humanity that is common to all and when you become a Christian you don't give up being a member of the human race Jesus coming into the world was for us as human beings he gave himself for us as human beings as a ransom a substitute for sinners who are human beings now, there are debates about universal or particular redemption, and those debates are worth having. And just to be clear, this verse isn't some kind of, sort of knockdown proof text against limited atonement. But while we're pointing out what God's word is not saying here, we mustn't neglect hearing what God's word is saying here that Christ's death is deeply relevant for all humanity. And as we praise God for his atoning work in Christ and explore its riches for us, We constantly need to remember it's about God's grace for us as human beings. Unworthy as we are. We must never ever turn Christ's blood into an excuse to narrow our focus and spend all of our time drawing boundaries between us and them. So I'm on the inside and they're on the outside and and Christ isn't for them and Christ is just for me. No, we're in this together. This prayer for and concern for all human beings arises directly from the gospel itself brothers if we forget this truth about god's concern for all humanity we're not just jeopardizing our missional effectiveness pragmatically we're actually denying the reality of god and of our mediator the nature of christ and his atoning work it's not just about missional pragmatics it's about the truth and yet because of that it's also about mission because the message of the gospel is for all humans and so the mission of the gospel is for all humans the truth about jesus verse 6 is the testimony given at the proper time for this i was appointed a preacher and an apostle i'm telling the truth i'm not lying a teacher of the gentiles in faith and truth because god wants all humans to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth Paul is a teacher of the nations in faith and truth. He heralds the gospel and he teaches it. And indeed, that gospel message saves and it transforms societies and governments. Never perfectly, but truly. So we should care about all the nations, all humans, as humans, that they hear this gospel. We should pray for humanity and our human authorities and also seek to be the answer to our prayers through sharing that gospel word. You know, in that protest 11 days ago, somebody was holding a sign. Uh, the sign said, the blood of Christ is my vaccine. And now that's wrong. The blood of Christ is not my vaccine because I'm human. And because I'm human, I need a vaccine. Humans need vaccines. In fact, for me, Christ's blood is the fundamental reason for me to go and get a vaccine, to, out of love for others. Christ, my mediator, loved me and gave himself for me in my humanity And that gives me a deep theological reason to care for my fellow human beings and to give myself for them. And to pray for our governments, that they bring our state and our nation to a point of peace and security and freedom. That's having God's heart for humanity, to live as human beings in solidarity for humanity, to long for the salvation of all humanity, and to proclaim that gospel to all humanity. So we pray our father we do pray now for our governments for those around us we pray that you would give great wisdom and skill to them enable them to bring right and good father enable them to uh, know what to do in the midst of the uncertainty we do pray for peace and security and we do pray that they may bring about Freedom, freedom for us to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And we do pray that many, many more in our world might hear that saving gospel and so be saved, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.